Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the Executive Director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. Hi, Karen. It's so great to be here with you today. Hi, Megan. How are you feeling? I know. I'm getting over the flu. It's been a long two weeks in the Ferraro household. Which is definitely not fun. (laughs) But the flu is going around. It is. And yeah, because we took our masks off. So here we go. Yes. So so we're doing really so much better and so happy to welcome to the podcast, Joe Colella who is the Director of Child Passenger Safety for the Juvenile Products Manufacturers Association. Joe has been a nationally recognized child passenger safety writer, program developer, consultant, speaker, instructor, and advocate since 1994. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm I'm really excited to be talking with you. Um, I'm grateful for all the work that you're doing to to keep kids safe. genuinely appreciate opportunities like this because it's it's sharing what I've learned over the last 30 years with with people that that may not know it yet Um, so it's great to be here we appreciate all of your expertise since you've been in this space for such a long time and won many awards for child safety so we're we feel fortunate to have you with us so Joe, can we start off by asking you, how did you get involved in this industry, in, in injury prevention and child safety? Yeah, it's a it's it's not the easiest question, but it, it gets easier as as years go on. Um, I uh, I had small children. This was my first baptism into child passenger safety. Was restraining my own kids, um, but my sister had small kids as well, and. Um, I was a business person. I, I was um, in marketing and advertising at the time, um, and I received a phone call um, telling me that my sister had been involved in a crash and asking me to drive my brother-in-law, the kid's father, to the hospital because he wasn't in good condition for, for driving to the hospital at that good mental state for driving to the hospital at that time. And um, it turned out that there was a, a compatibility issue between um, one one of my niece's car seats and the car that they were riding in um, that made it so that the car seat wasn't going to work the way it was intended to work. Um, and really, that was frightening to, to me as a parent um, because I knew how conscientious my sister was. Um, we're a safety family. We were wearing seatbelts before all cars had seatbelts. Um, my dad is a doctor, so that's you know we were wearing seatbelts. And and um, so so as as I investigated that situation, um, basically a police officer who had no training, there was no such thing as car seat technicians at the time, um, noticed that something didn't feel right to him. Um, he didn't know what it was. He just said that something was wrong about the way the car seat and the car were working together. Uh, so I investigated that, did a lot of research, and I learned that um, compatibility issues and and misuse of car seats were far more common than I than I had any clue. And um, so so that's how I got started. I, uh, within days, 
um, I started the Drivers Appeal for National Awareness, a, a nonprofit foundation. Um, the 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 first letter of those spells out my niece's name, Dana. Uh, so the Dana Foundation. Um, and uh, the, our specific objective was to reduce incompatibilities and reduce misuse. Wow, that's incredible. And this this foundation that you started, um, how, how soon after um, the accident did you, were you able to put that into place? Um, well, as far as functionally putting it into place, um, she died on September 25th. I sent out my first press release on September 28th. So really quick. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, it's it's so much more compelling, you know, when someone who turns that tragedy as Karen and Brian did, the loss of their child into or the loss of your niece into action so quickly after their loss and, you know, all with the goal of saving other lives. So, I, you know, I thank you as a parent. You know, I had my first child in 2010. I thank you because I know that uh, cars and car seats and how they are compatible with each other have come a long way in the last 20 years, 30 years. They really have. You know, when I got involved in 1994, there was no such thing as the latch system. And the latch system makes it easier for people to install their car seats correctly. Um, and even seatbelts uh, at that time didn't have to have a locking system in place that didn't come for another year or two after that, uh, after after my niece. Um, so you had to use extra extra locking systems, special clips to to lock the vehicle seatbelt and hold the car seat in place. Um, where all of that is is behind us now, mostly. You know, most people are driving cars that are 1995 or newer, so um, they have a locking system. And a lot of people are driving cars that are um, from 2001, 2002 or newer, um, and so they have the latch system too. Um, so it, it it makes it better. Now, I, I don't want to give the the false impression that that means everything is good because it's not. We're still seeing very high levels of non-use of car seats, misuse of car seats, um, and, and some, some challenges with uh, understanding how to, how to make sense of two sets of very different instructions, the, the car instructions and the car seat instructions, and how to make those two products work together. Well, even in, so I gave birth to my oldest in 1999, and even in 1999, they would, and my daughter was born in Stanford Hospital in Stanford, Connecticut. They would not let us leave the hospital without coming down to our car and inspecting that car seat. And that was 1999. So I, and after that, I feel like we participated in um, some car seat safety inspections that were given by our local town. And there's definitely a lot more being done. Yeah, absolutely. That And that's, I, I love that you said that, Karen, because the hospitals that are taking that on um, and being a part of that, and Connecticut has been a great state for that, um, have been really good. Um, th there are still some hospitals where their risk managers think it's, um, it's more dangerous to provide information than not provide information, um, which seems a little backwards to me. Um, right. But um, but the fact that the you know the American Academy of Pediatrics in 1996 and again in 1999 was recommending that the hospitals and facility, birthing facilities take on um, that that educational 
um, function and and some of them did and uh, it, it's been great I've gotten to, to work in your state in Connecticut with some of their technicians um, over the years and it's fantastic people yeah yeah the same is true for me in Pennsylvania they don't um, they have you bring the infant car seat into your room and they basically ensure that you know how to secure the seat belt correctly that the buckle is you know in line with the armpits um, and that it's it's snug enough, um, which is you know so helpful. In fact, we often look to that and think, "Geez, how can we get these amazing educators, nurses, right, um, to talk about water safety and drowning prevention?" Because as a parent, I learned so much about car seat safety from the nurses as I was getting ready to leave the hospital. That's fantastic, and you know the the one of the keys to that is is the nurse or whatever professional acting within their scope of practice. And that means they've had the appropriate training to train you. And um, we, we still have work to do in that area because not all hospitals have somebody on staff or all shifts at it, all hospitals have somebody on staff who has the knowledge to, to do that. But um, that's part of why I stay involved as, as an instructor, even though I'm doing other work with manufacturers and with the media and folks like that. I, I still stay involved and, and teach as many classes as I can so that we can get more people to the point where they can, they can help parents make the right choices. You know, as we think about, I'm in, um, I think I'm in, actually I am, I'm in four different stages of car seat usage. So I have my <laughs> I have my 11 year old who's dying and so desperate to sit in the front seat. Uh, so he's in a regular seat in the back of the car. I have my nine year old who's a petite nine year old in a booster seat. I have my four year old, my five year old in a forward facing car seat and my two year old in a rear facing car seat. Wow. And <laughs> um, <laughs> my car is bursting at the seams, as you can imagine. And, um, you know, a wonder from your perspective, like what is the biggest miss that parents today, you know, with all the technology that we have today, what is the biggest mistake that parents make? You know, I, it varies by parent. You know, there, there, there was one study done um, recently that looked at parents who had just had kids. So these were their, their first, um, first time being discharged from the hospital and what mistakes they were making. Um, it was done out in Oregon. And what they found was that that more than nine out of 10 parents were still making mistakes and that it wasn't one mistake that they were making it was an average of four mistakes that they were making um, and each one of those mistakes might be minor by itself but when you add them together they change the way a car seat performs and really all of the all of the correct use information is in the instructions but like I said earlier, it's making sense of the car seat instructions and how those fit, how those match with the car instructions, which which vary greatly. Um, so really, the, the two areas I would focus on for um, for errors that parents make are, are one, the, the harness, um, the, the, the part that's holding the strap that's, that's holding the baby into the car seat. And that strap. Um, needs to be properly adjusted according to the instructions. So that means adjusting the height of it to match your child's height, according to the instructions. And also um, getting the harnesses snug on the child. A lot of people think that, you know, it's making my baby uncomfortable. Your baby just spent nine months in a very closed environment. 
So having straps on that are a little snug is is way more fresh air than they were getting um, <laughs> while, while, while they were you know in, inside of you. Um, and um, it, it really doesn't doesn't bother kids. We need them snug so that you can't um, you shouldn't be able to pinch slack. If you try to grab that harness, that that belt that's holding the child in um, around their collarbone and pinch it, you shouldn't be able to pinch anything. Your fingers should just slip off of it. That's when you know it's tight enough. Um, so that's one area. And the other the other area is the installation, the attaching the car seat to the car um, where there, there shouldn't be any motion um, of, of the car seat in the car. It shouldn't move more than an inch. When I pull on the car seat after it's installed, if I can move it more than an inch, just you know, pulling on, on it with one hand, then, um, then it's not tight enough. So those are two big areas that really change the way the car seat is going to protect. The car seats do a good job even with misuse because they're amazing devices. Um, but if it's your child, you want no injuries. You want, you know, you, you don't want your child to be hurt. Um, and the, the closer you get it to the way the car seat was designed um, by following the instructions, the, the better chance you have of, you know, reducing any potential for injury. Um, it, it's really important. So, um, you know, if I had, had just one word to, to, um, to reinforce the parents, I would use the word snug. Um, and the, the, the word snug is what keeps, um, is what helps to manage energy. There's a lot of energy, a lot of crash force um, in, in a crash. And um, by having everything snugly installed, you're taking full advantage of the fact that the metal of the vehicle is bending. That's using up energy. And if, it's, if that's using up energy, that means that I am not going to have to experience that energy. My child is not going to have to experience that energy. It's, it's shifted away from the child, away from the adult to the vehicle frame. And if I'm coupled to the vehicle with a, with a, um, a tight harness and the, the car seat is with, with a, a tight latch strap or a tight seatbelt, then um, we're optimizing that energy management. That's an interesting way to think about it. And actually brings to mind a question that I often hear in mom groups. I just got in a car crash. What does that mean for my, my child's car seat? Mm. That's a that's an excellent question, and you know, for the most part, car seats are a one-time use item. They've done their job. If you've had a significant crash, they've done their job, um, and the part of energy management is deforming. You know, I mentioned the metal bending of the car, and that's using up energy. Well, there there are energy management features built into car seats as well. The plastics bend. Um, and they're intended to, that uses up energy so that it doesn't get to my child, but they may not re resume their original form again. They may not return to that original form. And so they may not deform the same way. They may not function the same way in a future crash. So in general, we say if a car seat has been in a, in a moderate to severe crash, it has to be replaced. And the manufacturer's instructions all say that. Um, insurance companies are getting better about understanding that when you present them with the instructions saying your car seat manufacturers say you have to replace it. Um, a lot of them are starting to compensate for that, starting to, to pay for the replacement car seat, um, which, is, which is fantastic. That's a, a big development um, that wasn't the case 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, that's, 
in, in a, you know, in a minor parking lot fender bender, some instructions may still say to replace the car seat just to be on the safe side. We don't know what's going on. Do we really want to put our child's life um, in, in, the, in the care of something that we're not quite sure if it's going to perform again? Um, and then some car seat instructions um, have tested, the, the, you know, the, the models have been tested to the point where um, they may be uh, more robust. So a, a minor crash, a minor parking lot, fender bender, um, they don't have to be replaced. Um, but, it, but in a moderate to severe crash, they do. Um, and some of them even have indicators built into them where um, something happens to the car seat and that's your cue. That's this car seat has to be replaced is when that indicator changes. Yeah, I, my husband was in a car crash with our son, um, gosh, probably five or six years ago, and the insurance company replaced the car seat without even a second ask. It was right away it happened. Um, we were really pleased with that. But the other thing, it's, it's such an, it seems like such an unknown fact, <laughs> and I know about it. Actually, Alan taught me it um, when I when my oldest was a baby. He said, don't forget in a few years to check your car seat's expiration date. And I said, expiration date, what are you talking about? And sure enough, on the side of the car seat was the expiration date. So can you talk a little bit about that? I can, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just like any other product, um, things change, things get better. And we've already talked about that a little bit here in this conversation about how much things have changed over the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years uh, for car seats, how they've gotten better. Um, well, part of that is reflected in regulations, safety regulations. Every car seat has to meet a very stringent set of tests um, before it is allowed to be sold in the United States. And um, those regulations keep getting better and better and better. And the technology supporting those recommendations keep getting better. So a car seat that's, you know, six, seven, eight years old may not have the same benefit of technology as uh, as one today. So that's the primary reason is that regulations and, and technologies change. So that's the primary reason. There are other reasons too, though, that over time with, with different kinds of use as you um, as you're using a car seat in different temperature environments, um, the the materials can over over time get um, more brittle um, and may not perform in exactly the same way as they did in their original condition, um, or parts may um, stop functioning over time because you've used them so many times. So they may not function the same way or people take a, take apart their car seats to use it in different modes, rear facing versus forward facing versus booster seats. Some car seats allow that transition. Um, and as you're removing parts, manipulating parts, washing parts, um, you may not put it together exactly the same way. And, and sometimes you have spare parts because you're not following the instructions. And those spare parts mean that something's not together the way it was intended to be. Um, so over time, a lot of things can change. And those are just some of the reasons that, um, that a shelf life has been assigned to car seats. Um, and they range, depending on the car seat, somewhere between four years and 12 years. Um, and that, that really depends on the complexity of the car seat and the manufacturer and um, and exactly how they've built that particular model. Um, so it, it's very important to follow that. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because state laws, um, we have 
you know, 50 different state laws for our, for our 50 states, but virtually all of them require one thing, and that's that the car seat is properly used. Properly used means according to manufacturer's instructions, and the expiration date is part of those instructions. So if you're using your car seat after a crash or after its, after its useful life, then technically you are violating your state's law. So interesting. What a great way to think about it. It makes it really easy. Sorry, honey, it's against the law. We have to buy a new car seat. There you go. There's the convincer. <laughs> well, the one thing I think that's so great is that you mentioned your insurance company replaced it. So, you know, I'm sure that expense can be um, can be difficult for many people and, you know, to have to buy a new car seat and you don't have to do that if the insurance company is covering it. I didn't realize that. Yes. If you're in an accident, um, you just uh, along with the, you know, the claim to repair your car, or even if there aren't repairs that need to be made to your car, you just go to your insurance company and say, I was in an accident. Here are the details. Here's the type of car seat I have. Here's how much it costs. In our circumstance, they they paid for the the full replacement value. Um, I don't think they do that if your car seat expires, but they will if, if you've been in an accident, which is really, which is great. Like one less thing for you to have to worry about. Right. Um, Absolutely. So Joe, uh, my five-year-old, some of his friends are in booster seats already. So um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between backless boosters, you know, the boosters that are high backed with harnesses, what should parents consider when they're thinking through what to move their child into when they're making that kind of like critical move from a car seat to a booster? That's a, that's a great question. And really the, the recommendation, let's start, let's start with that. The, the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics, and if you're not familiar with that organization, it's an association of 65,000 pediatricians. So these are, the, these are the, the physicians that see injuries and see what caused those injuries and how they can be avoided. Um, and what they recommend, and also the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration con- concurs, um, is that you ride in harnesses as long as possible. Um, so um, when, when we're talking about a child who's you know, three, four, five years old, the chances that that child, and I, I'm just speaking as a dad, my, this didn't happen with my kids, the chances that a child is going to ride sitting fully upright with the seatbelt properly positioned for two hours as you're you know, driving to your, your vacation is like slim to none and slims out of town. Um, so it's, it's, it, they, they don't sit like crash test dummies. Um, when, when you have harnesses, that helps to control some of that behavior, some of that, um, some of that moving around and poking and reaching down on the ground because the harnesses kind of keep the child where they should be. Um, and it's actually in, in an ideal position for protection, for the protection that the car seat is going to provide. When you switch to a booster seat, it, it requires a lot of maturity and a lot of discipline because that child is riding basically in a, in a seatbelt like you do, a lap and shoulder belt. Yeah, the booster seat positions the child so that the seatbelt is, is going to work better for the child, but they, they have a lot more freedom of motion. And that freedom of motion means that, you know, if they're bending down to pick something up or leaving, leaning over to poke their sister, um, that if a crash were to happen at that moment, they're not in the ideal position for protection. So the recommendation is to ride in harnesses up until either the weight limit or the height limit provided by the manufacturer. 
And most car seats now, the harnesses go up to 65 pounds. So really, you're not talking about a four or five-year-old child. You're talking about a seven, eight, nine-year-old child, sometimes a lot older than that. It could be a teenager by the time they get to 65 pounds. Um, and, and My so, nine-year-old should still be in a car in a, in a harness by those standards. That's crazy. Not yeah. crazy, but so interesting. Yeah, and it, I'm, but I'm glad you said it the, the, the way you said it at first. Your initial reaction was, that's crazy. Um, and, and I'm glad you said it that way because a lot of parents respond that way. I, I work with a lot of parents and, and a lot of parents re respond that way because they didn't do that when they were kids. By the, by the time they were three, they were riding in just a seatbelt, you know, with the current generation. Um, and so making sense of that is, is a challenge for those parents because it, it didn't exist. And then you've got their parents, the grandparents that, you know, people weren't, there weren't even seatbelts in cars. Um, and, and so, you know, trying to, trying to bridge those life experiences is very different. So a lot of people feel that way, but we, we got to keep in mind that it's, it's the parent that feels that way. It's not the child. The child is okay with riding in a car seat, especially if you never take them out and it's a religious thing. You, you know, you ride in your seatbelt, the child rides in their car seat before the car moves. Um, then, um, then, then they don't object, object as easily as right. sometimes parents will object. Yeah, right. just because they're used to it. Yeah. So I can I ask, oh, oh sorry. Can I ask, so Megan, your two-year-old is still in a rear facing car seat. So my, I think probably when my youngest Sydney, when she was in a rear facing car seat, I think she, I think they just changed the law or the recommendation to be two years, but I think it was right after she was already out. Um, and so what is the recommendation now? Cause I thought it was after two years, it's you turn them around to forward. It was, it, it's been fine tuned over the years. And that's, that's kind of the way science works. Right. If we learn more about the injuries. We learn more about the capabilities of the car seat. And so the recommendations change because we know more, we have more information to base those, those recommendations on. Mm -hmm. um, so over the years, you know, in the late nineties, um, the, the recommendation went from 20 pounds and can sit up alone was the previous recommendation to one year and 20 pounds for before a child goes forward facing. Um, and then um, that continued for a while. Um, and then in 2011, it went to two years old, minimum of age two um, was, was the recommendation. It's changed more. Um, and the reason is that there wasn't, there wasn't enough data to, um, to make that, that age recommendation of age two. Um, and basically it's because car seats work so well, there wasn't enough data. It would take us, this was the estimate by the researchers, it would take us 60 years of car crash injuries to have enough data to support a specific age, which is a long time. That's because wow. car seats work. Right. Uh, but what we, um, what the recommendation is now is that a child should ride facing the rear as long as possible, as long as the manufacturer allows them to. So um, most car seats that, that have a rear facing mode, so it could be an infant seat. Most of those go up to 30 pounds or more rear facing. 
Um, it could be a convertible seat, one that goes rear facing or forward facing. Most of those go up to 40 pounds rear facing or even higher. Some go to 50 mm. pounds rear facing. Um, and then we've got all-in-one seats. Those go rear facing, forward facing, and also booster. And still those go to at least 40 pounds for most of them, uh, rear facing. So the longer we can keep a child rear facing, the better. And you know, just to put that in perspective, we're adults. Um, I play an adult on TV. You guys are real adults. I get it. Um, but, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the majority of crashes that cause serious injury are frontal crashes. So that's me driving forward and crashing into something. Even a rear end co collision, one of the cars is having a frontal collision. You get that? So one's having a rear end collision, but one of them is having a, a, a frontal collision. When we're talking about frontal collisions, if, if you and I were sitting backwards, sitting facing the back of the car, then all of that crash force, all of that motion toward the front of the vehicle would be spread out across the vehicle seat that we're sitting against. So basically our entire back neck um, and would be in contact with the vehicle seat. And that would use up a lot of the energy and distribute the energy in ways that we currently don't. So we would be safer rear facing if we could drive rear facing um, technically. So um, when, when we're talking about kids, we have that option. We don't have the, we can't drive facing the back, facing out the back window, obviously, but with with children that are you know one two three and even four years old we do have that luxury of keeping them facing the rear and giving them that extra benefit of the force being spread better and protecting their head and their neck better it's funny i remember um when will turned two which would have been in you know august of 2012 we turned to see forward and then a week later, I read an article that said, no, 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 you should keep them rear facing as long as possible. And I said, honey, we have to turn the seat back again. And he was like, what? Um, and so since then, we've kept all of our kids rear facing until at least three. Um, and it's worked out well. They don't mind. They don't know the difference. Um, and so it's 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 worked for us. Um, but it's so interesting to see, you know, this evolution between how they how they evolve, how they, you know, interact with their friend groups, who's in a booster seat, who's sitting in the front seat. It is a social thing in a lot of ways. And I guess it's part of growing up. You want to seem, you know, older, cooler. <laughs> my son had a friend who was sitting in the front seat of the car in first grade. And my son looked at him like a God. He was like, oh, so-and-so is allowed to sit in the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very true. They're like, wait, why am I still in the back? Why am I still in a booster? What what's going on here? Yes. Yep. Yes. And, you know, and then, you know, just while we're while we're on that topic of the the peer pressure that, mm -hmm. that kids are experiencing, um, part of that really starts much earlier before they have interaction with their peers. And the, the, the reason I want to bring this up is because the statistics showing for the latest comprehensive analysis we have of a, a year of statistics was 2019. What that found was that uh, when, when a driver, the driver of the vehicle was not restrained, that 67% of the kids riding in that car, or there was a 67% likelihood that the kids riding in that car were also not restrained. Um, wow. And, wow. And, and 
you know, I've seen that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was working a car seat checkup event and that's where a parent comes and hopefully some of your, the parents that are listening right now will take advantage of this. A parent comes and visits a, a certified child passenger safety technician. And that technician looks at what they have and what they're, what they're currently doing and then helps them to correct the errors. Remember I said there are an average of four errors in that, in that one study. A, a child, a parent was complaining that their three-year-old, that the three-year-old son um, kept getting out of his car seat, kept moving the harness straps and pulling the harness clip down and climbing out of his car seat and refused to sit in it. Um, so I, I was the technician. And um, I asked a few questions of the parents. The first question was, um, you know, the, the adjustment. Is it adjusted properly? And I investigated that, looked at the adjustment of the harnesses to see if the child was uncomfortable. And um, he wasn't. He was, he was comfortable. And the, the second question I asked was, were the harnesses tight enough? Um, and they were. They were snug the way I like them so that you can't pinch any slack in the harness. I can't grab harness between my fingers. But the third question was the tough one. And that's where I said to the parents, do you wear your seatbelts every time you ride? And the mom said, oh, yes, I don't even back out of the driveway without it. And the dad just made a sad face and looked down. So I found my answer. And the answer was dad. So just like what you were talking about, Karen, where, where uh, a child wants to, um, wants to mimic what their, what their peers are doing, a three-year-old boy wants to be like dad. And if dad is not wearing a seatbelt, then the three-year-old boy may see that as an opportunity to emulate dad um, and um, not wear his seatbelt either. Um, and that's a, that's a grown-up thing. So, you know, that it, it's very important to understand the influence that we have on our children. We need to buckle up so that our children see the, that example. Um, just like we shouldn't be texting while we're driving. So our see children see that example. We also need to be buckled up. A great point. Um, so, Joe, we're nearing the end of our time with you here. Um, I want to certainly thank you for your, your time and for all of the education that we've just received from you. But before you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find one of those child passenger safety um, events where they can check to see if their seat is properly installed. I can, yeah. Um, the, the first place that I would go to see if your car seat is properly installed is even before you go to a technician, and that's contact the manufacturer of your car seat. Every car seat on the market has um, has a phone number on the side of it. It's on. It's a required label. So there's a there's a phone number and a website um, to reach your manufacturer. And when you call that number, they have specialists that understand the product and how to use it correctly and have seen virtually every vehicle with that car seat in use. And so they can answer a lot of questions and help you to use it right. Um, and some of them have video capabilities so they can actually look in your car um, and, and see what you're doing right and wrong. So check the label on, on the side of your car seat. If you can't find that label because it's been torn off, um, the JPMA, the Juvenile Products Manufacturers Association, puts a resource out to help you find it. And if you go to jpma.org, jpma.org slash car seat help, um, then there's a list of all of the manufacturer's customer services. It's got their phone number, it's got their website. It talks about whether they have extra services like video services. Um, so that's that's one step is to get help from the guys that made it or the 
men and women that made that made the car seat. Um, and the second step is a technician. And we've trained around 150,000 people as car seat technicians. That's three to four days of training for each and every one of them. Um, and if you go to um, the regulator of car seat, that's the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So if you have a pen and pencil with you uh, or are listening to this at a point where you, where you can pause it, um, it's nhtsa.gov, nhtsa that GOV is the, the government agency. And if you just search the term in their search bar, search car seat, and uh, their page for car seats and booster seats comes up, that's got a lot of educational information in it. It's got a car seat finder. If you're looking for what kind of a car seat should my child with my child's height and weight be riding in, um, it gives you a, a list of some potential car seats and certainly the category of car seats. And it's got an inspection search. That's where you can find the technician. So nhtsa.gov, search for car seat, and, and you'll get to the right place. That's great. I really um, learned so much. I like kind of thought I was a little bit of an expert, but I'm definitely not. I have so much more to learn. <laughs> um, we'd love to have you back to talk more about the differences between when we should move from a car seat to a booster and a backlist booster and all those other things in between. Um, and also talk about, you know, safety around, you know, kids being left in cars. We have lots more to discuss around car seats, safety while in cars, and just general um, safety around vehicles. So we really appreciate your time, Joe. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks everybody for taking the time to listen. Joe, such great information. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. For all of you listening, if you would please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, we would so appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.